Hi, everyone. I'd like to ex extend a warm welcome to Ilsidora Laker, the first North American German New Medicine educator and consultant trained by the founder of German New Medicine, Dr. Reich Geer Geerd Hammer. She carries the passion of German New Medicine and is dedicated to the teachings of Dr. Hammer bringing the information forward so that we can have a meaningful shift to what we perceive as disease. How an emotional shock or trauma, also known as biological shock, has immediate effects on the brain and the corresponding organ. Welcome, Ilsidora. Thank you, my pleasure to be here. Ilsidora, I thought we'd start the conversation out um, with Dr. Homer's own story and how he, you know, had a traumatic shock with the death of his son and later got cancer and then connected the trauma to what his physical symptoms were. And that was really the start of him understanding how much emotional trauma and shock affect our physical body. So if you'd start with that story, that would be awesome. Well, it was in 1978, and uh, Dr. Hammer's son and his daughter were on a trip, a school trip in the summer. Uh, actually, it was in September. And um, this trip involved uh, three yachts, three private yachts, and uh, they went to the Isle of Cavallo, so just off of Corsica. And um, on the last night of this school trip, um, all the students and the chaperones were uh, at a fish restaurant. And of course, they're in the middle of the Mediterranean, right? So they were in this restaurant and one of the other guests was the Italian Crown Prince, Victor Emmanuel, his wife, and uh, some bodyguards and I imagine some friends. And uh, one of the chaperones with this group of uh, students was uh, uh, also known to the prince. As a matter of fact, he was a medical doctor and his father was uh, actually the uh, family physician to uh, Victor Emmanuel's uh, father, the deposed king of Italy. So they knew each other, but you know, kids being kids, uh, they were a bit rowdy and uh, they went into the wee hours of the night, but they kept getting dirty looks from the prince. So Dr. Benda was his name, he thought that uh, perhaps the prince thought that uh, the kids were having a laugh at his expense. But uh, anyway, when the party broke up, um, he noticed that uh, they were also followed by the prince and his entourage. Um, they had an open Jeep, lights blaring, followed them right back to where they were, uh, where the yachts were moored. And uh, then he drove on. But um, about 20 minutes after everyone had gone to their cabins, um, Dr. Benda heard some noise on the deck and he realized that uh, uh, there was something wrong. So he went up to see what was going on and he saw that there were some air tanks actually strewn on the deck and they were turned open. Of course, this is dangerous. So um, he scrambled to turn them off. And uh, at that moment, he saw that uh, the Italian crown prince was sitting at the back of the boat in a dinghy and he had this massive weapon uh, pointed at him. So, um, and then all of a sudden the prince started screaming and he said, and this is for trying to steal my yacht. And he's fired some shots. So, of course, Dr. Bender 
jumped to, into the water trying to get to safety. But in the meanwhile, they heard some screams, help me, help me, I've been shot. And this was Dr. Hammer's son, Dirk. So when all the commotion died down, they found Dirk had been shot in the abdomen and the upper thigh. And uh, he was mortally wounded at that time. He had lost a lot of blood and was unconscious. So um, they had to wait until uh, the next day before they were able to airlift him to uh, Marseille. And of course, Dr. Hammer and his wife were there uh, attending. They were living in Italy at the time. They had a very thriving practice in Italy. Both he and his uh, wife were physicians. And um, so they attended to their son for the next three months. But uh, towards the end of this three month period, after countless surgeries, I believe it was 16 surgeries and he was on dialysis, literally from the moment that uh, he was airlifted to the hospital. Uh, he was clinically dead, but they had to revive him, of course. And uh, three months later, he died in Dr. Hammer's arms. But there was a, a lot more involved uh, where this was concerned because apparently Dr. Fa Dr. Hammer found out that uh, there were some orders given to speed up the process of Dirk's demise. And uh, these orders came apparently from the Italian crown prince. So uh, of course, uh, both Dr. And Hom Dr. Hammer and his wife suffered terribly over this. And Dr. Hammer developed a testicular cancer, was diagnosed three months after Dirk died in December. Uh, his wife developed a breast cancer a short time after that. But um, yes, at that time, of course, Dr. Hammer is a traditionally trained medical doctor. So, but uh, you know, when I when I first met him, I knew his history already, and of course, uh, this is in 1999. And when I first met him, I asked him, I said, "Why didn't you have chemotherapy?" And uh, he said, "Well, you know, Ilzadora, I don't know any medical doctors that would subject themselves or their family to that kind of treatment." Of course, he had surgery. He had uh, the testicular cancer removed, and um, he was given literally a 1% chance of surviving this because he developed a peritoneal infection and uh, uh, it was, he was quite critically ill at that time. So, but during his hospital stay, um, he had a visitor um, on behalf of the Italian Crown Prince saying that if he decided to pursue this, in other words, legally hold him accountable for the death of his son, that uh, they would destroy his life, to just destroy his practice, uh, destroy his finances. And of course, they ended up doing just that because Dr. Hammer went after him. So it was uh, a couple of years later, after he survived this horrific ordeal, that Dr. Hammer tried to get his life together. And uh, he took a position as um, head internist of a gynecological oncology clinic that clinic that was associated with the University of Munich. And um, there he took the opportunity to question his patients um, whether or not they had any traumatic events in their lives that uh, preceded the onset of their cancer. And there were 170 patients in his care at that time. And in every situation, they all had a traumatic event. Of course, uh, he also had the reproductive cancer. So uh, it, uh, it became quite evident to him that uh, uh, reproductive cancers had the same kind of uh, traumatic event that preceded it. 
so that's how it began. And uh, actually, he discovered the first. Yeah. Yeah. He discovered the first or or two biological conflict during that period of time. And uh, when the university head got wind of it, they decided to terminate his contract. So it was uh, uh, quite a horrific time in Dr. Harmon's life, but uh, he kept forging forward uh, without any kind of financial support, no money for research. And uh, this is when he discovered the first biological law, the iron rule of cancer. And that simply states that it's a traumatic event that you did not anticipate that uh, will develop into a serious illness. But then subsequently he discovered that it takes a traumatic event to develop into all illnesses outside of poisoning. So this was uh, quite momentous um, in, uh, in medicine. And of course, Dr. Homer was blocked everywhere he went as soon as he came out with his discovery, uh, they tried to block him. And in the end, there were about 12 attempts on his life. So they did their best to prevent Dr. Homer's work from becoming noticed. However, we have the internet to thank for uh, the German New Medicine to come into the limelight. And uh, that's been pretty much since 2000. Yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible. Um, how, you know, whoever tries to block this information and for their own agenda and for their own wealth, perhaps, would block such information from coming forward that could help so many people. Well, that's the way of the world. We know that now more than ever, I'm afraid. But, uh, you know, we, we can uh, look at the medicine historically, and we see this happening all of the time. There are obviously groups that have an agenda that do not want this kind of information out there. If you've ever read The Green Pharmacy, I'm sure most naturopaths have read that. You know, it's yeah. history repeating itself. Yeah. Well, homeopathy has been under attack for over 100 years, so I'm very aware of that. Um, yeah. So, doctor, like this is such beautiful information because when we do feel trauma you know how you're affected you can't sleep you feel the effect of the sadness the grief the shock in your body and we all experience it differently so what he discovered was that he actually took um, photographs of the brain and could see how the trauma affected different parts of the brain is that correct yes well this this actually came uh, a little bit later I think it was in the first 18 months that he came across uh, a CAT scan. Um, this was a patient, he was working in emergency at that time. And um, the patient was brought in unconscious. And of course the protocol, if someone comes in unconscious is um, that you do a CT of the brain to see if there's an injury or whatever. So he, um, they took a CT of this, uh, this fellow that came in unconscious and he had apparently had a heart attack. So um, when he got a hold of the CT, um, they noticed that there was a pocket of edema in exactly the area of the brain that they already knew was the heart rhythm center. So 
Yeah, it was uh, quite amazing at that moment. He had that revelation that uh, the psyche um, and the organ uh, in the moment of the trauma, everything was mediated by the brain. So it's psyche, brain, organ in a split second. And uh, what we actually see on the brain at that particular moment is a target ring. That target ring is actually a sphere of uh, activity. It's like a ball of activity. Of course, you know, we, we change the angle of the CT. Then, of course, we also still see that target ring configuration. But that sphere of activity is uh, what uh, um, triggers what is going on on the organ. And, of course, the moment that we have this biological shock, we call it a DHS, or Dr. Hammer called it a DHS in honor of his son, Dirk Palmer syndrome. But as soon as we have that biological shock, uh, like you said, we have problems sleeping, we have poor appetite, we have cold extremities, and uh, we wake up at three o'clock in the morning. So anybody that wakes up three o'clock in the morning has, has got some stuff going on, right? So uh, there can be weight loss. And of course, we are completely focused on that particular issue. So we're encompassed by it day and night. Now, we wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning for a reason, and that's really at dawn. And that's to give us more waking hours to work out the conflict. So nature is really giving us an optimum chance to figure it out before we actually develop a physical issue. And of course, most of his research uh, in the beginning was on cancers, but like I said, all diseases are triggered by a biological conflict. So we could be looking at arthritis, right? We could be looking at the sniffles, uh, eye diseases, you name it, ovarian cancers, breast cancer, skin disease, a rash, hives, allergies. Everything has its origins in a biological shock. Yeah, and of course, how we perceive it would be very individual and how we then how our body reacts to it would also depend on what, you know, what area of the brain was affected by our perception and then what part organ in the body is affected. So it would be individual for each person. Yes, it's, it's the nature of the biological shock that will determine the part of the brain that is affected and simultaneously which organ or which uh, germ layer or tissue layer you know, our, our organs are made up of three different kinds of germ layers or cell layers. And uh, there are four different areas of the brain that control those different cell layers. You know, we have, for example, the bronchi. Um, they are covered by the ectodermal germ layer, which is squamous epithelium, which is the same as our outer skin. You know, all the tubes in our bodies are covered by this ectodermal journaling. So, and they behave according to um, what is going on in the cerebrum. So at the moment that we have a biological shock, the, the activity begins in the brain on a very specific uh, relay that has control over that particular part of the organ. And then ulcerations will develop on that particular uh, tissue. So as long as the individual is in conflict, the ulcerations will continue. But when we resolve the conflict, guess what happens? 
the repair phase kicks in. And this is when we will develop some inflammation, um, swelling, and this is when we will get our bronchial symptoms if the bronchi are affected. So we would develop a cough or what we commonly call flu-like symptoms. And most of those symptoms usually last, you know, anywhere from two to six weeks, depending on the severity, and also depending on whether or not there was any fluid that had built up during that healing process. And that in itself is indicative of another conflict. But like pneumonia, for example, uh, there has to be an active conflict affecting the kidneys in order for there to be any kind of dramatic fluid buildup in, in any organ or in any cavity. So Dr. Hammer has absolutely made sense of all the disease processes pretty much known to man. And he's came, he came up with a wonderful uh, tool that we use in the GNM now, and that is the scientific chart, where he outlines the name of the disease, the location in the brain where we see this activity, um, the nature of the conflict, how the conflict displays during the uh, active phase on the physical level, and what to expect on the organic level in the healing phase when the body is trying to recover from this. And this goes for all diseases. So it's a wonderful tool. And if we decide to look up something, then you know we know what to expect rather than being in the dark all the time. Yeah, amazing. And, um, and cancer, when it actually shows up as a tumor, is actually the body in the healing phase? Is well, that... Not, not exactly. There are we, we have most of our cancers uh, diagnosed when we are in the healing phase, but when we uh, um, have a, a certain part of the brain, the oldest part of the brain, the pons of the brainstem, in conflict activity, then this would give us a, a cancer type that is known as an adenocarcinoma, and uh, these develop during the conflict active phase. So here we could be looking at a liver cancer the liver parenchyma, we could be looking at a pancreatic cancer, the same in the body of the, the pancreas, uh, a bowel cancer or a stomach cancer, the large curvature. Because, you know, they're, they're, these organs are all made up of different tissue. So we could also, in contrast to that, have, have a pancreatic cancer that develops out of the bile ducts, and that's a healing phase. And the same with a bile duct cancer in, in the liver. Again, it's a healing phase. So we have two different cellular structures in, in a lot of our organs or most of our organs that would present in different kinds of cancers. One would grow during the conflict activity and another would grow when the conflict has been resolved. So it's about 60% of all of our diseases are pretty much already resolved when they begin to show up in our bodies. Right. And... And instead of realizing what phase we're in, we tend to go into another panic and treat it with, you know, possibly drugs that cause more harm. Yes. Um, yeah. So I have so many questions because <laughs> I, I know this medicine quite well, but I'm going to pass it to Carl. And if there's any outstanding questions, I'm going to come back. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ilsador. Hi, Elsador. Great to have you here. Thank you. Um, 
I was I was looking at some stuff before um, before the interview, and uh, I had never heard of this uh, uh, way of looking at CAT scans to identify a, a place in the brain, uh, and it's the brain is the organ that that tells tells you where the disease is going to manifest. Um, there's a few things um, I. In my in my limited knowledge, I know that cancer is is usually preceded by uh, some sort of trauma to within two years of the person showing signs of it, um, and I also know that lung cancer usually has a lot to do with an emotional trauma. So this all ties in with what you're saying. Uh, uh, it's it's an emotional, it's an energetic, it's it's at the level of the psyche. Uh, um, which sort of, you know, supports the idea of energy medicine where everything occurs on an energy plane and then manifests then in the physical. Um, what struck me, and maybe we can talk a bit more about the technique, but what struck me in those uh, CT scans was the actual uh, incredible symmetry of the ring, which is actually a sphere. Yeah. And... So I'm wondering, because you also did the analog of, of, of a water droplet creating ripples in a pond, but in, that's dynamic. They're moving out all the time. So does the size of that sphere or the rings that, that in, encircle that center point, do they change with the disease state? Or you know the number of rings. I'm getting more into the, the kind of the physics of, of of what's going on there as something to uh, interpret. Well, if you want to know more about the physics, then uh, I have a video that I did with Dr. Stefan Lanka recently, uh, where he talks just about uh, uh, about this manifestation, and uh, there are chemical changes that occur on the brain at that particular moment. And I won't get into it because it's it's pretty complex. But when we we actually have this biological shock, um, the the brain takes that on immediately. It registers in a very specific area that is literally programmed to respond to that kind of a biological shock. So, and this is for every living creature. You know, we all have this mechanism. So if we look closely, it occurs throughout all of nature. But this target ring, as uh, we are in the conflict active phase, this is when uh, it will affect the organ. So like I said, if we have a, a, a let's take for example, a starvation conflict, then um, we will develop a liver cancer. And this would present as a nodule or several nodules on the liver. And they will grow as long as the conflict remains active. Now, on the level of the brain, what we have is a target ring that will be very, very clearly defined for that length of time. But as soon as the individual finds a solution to that conflict, this is when the changes will take place, both on the organ and on the level of the brain. So on the organ, what happens is, is that the tumor actually stops growing. And when we look at the brain, we see that the target ring is starting to break up. The energy is dispersing. Okay, so we see uh, the chemical changes on the brain 
simultaneously uh, as everything changes on the organ. So the wonderful thing about understanding this is that it does take the fear out of a, a diagnosis. I mean, it's a serious diagnosis, a liver cancer, right? That scares the living data, daylights out of most people. But it's quite reassuring knowing that when we look at a CAT scan of the brain and uh, the target brain has been resolved, that means that the tumor has also stopped growing. So yeah. at that moment, though, the body does something amazing. It uses microbes to begin to degrade what had happened during the conflict active phase. So the body is already trying to normalize um, what happened on the organic level. That's fantastic. So, so these rings, they depict a different type of tissue. The tissue within the brain is slightly different. Well, Chemically, the or... is on its own. It's not made up of any particular kind of germ layer as the organs are. But we have, uh, as we evolved, we developed a uh, um, other parts of the brain. The, the oldest part of the brain is the pons of the brainstem. And then from there, we developed the cerebellum and then the cerebrum. And uh, we have uh, all of our tissues that developed along with those different areas of the brain as, as uh, we developed. So each area of the brain has a different jurisdiction over a, a germ layer that developed as we evolved. So, right. Yeah. I, I suppose what I was getting at is is the actual because I'm fascinated by the sphericity and the symmetry, and so that must reflect something in the tissue of the brain. Um, yes, uh, the target ring. There's a there's a destruction of neurons uh, during yeah. that that time. Yes, of course. And so that's, that's it, it, to me it, it it looks like you're looking down at maybe a nuclear bomb has been let off, and you get these rings of different pressure zones or whatever but in this case it's could you say because it's it's biological it's a chemical slightly different uh change in the tissue so the it's 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 it, i'm just fascinated by the sphericity but of it it's not the change in the tissue as much as it is in in the uh, the neurons and okay. uh, yeah and when when uh, the tissue on the brain begins to repair itself then the connective tissue of the brain, which is known as glia or glia cells, will begin to uh, attempt to um, correct what had happened during the conflict active phase. So we will see over a period of time a, a greater accumulation of the, these glial cells, which are commonly known as brain tumors. Very interesting. Very interesting. And um, so is the CAT scan the only way to see these? I mean, because a CAT scan uses x-rays. Um, well, the, the CAT scan picks up on this energy, as you called it, this energetic change on the brain. Um, I've always thought it was uh, some electromagnetic field, but, uh, you know, the, the latest information from Dr. Lanka indicates that this is a biochemical change that occurs uh, um, as a... It's called fermentation, believe it or not, because the process takes place um, without oxygen. So um, this, this chemical change 
uh, is uh, is also responsible for making the changes in the uh, the glia, uh, not the glia, sorry, the neurons. And uh, when uh, when uh, this uh, process changes over to the healing phase, then of course the repair mechanism um, attempts to reconnect all of these neurons that were destroyed during the conflict active phase. So we will see a lot of fluid in that area, and we will see some glia. And of course, this is misinterpreted as a disease in itself or as a metastatic process if the patient already has a cancer. So um, we, we, we've learned to reinterpret what is really going on on the level of the brain uh, in the context of what Dr. Hammer has discovered. So it's really quite extraordinary how it all ties together once you understand his five biological laws. Can, can, can this tool be used to, um, I, you're saying it can be used to diagnose, but it can, can it, uh, what's the word, foretell? Somebody comes in, you do a CT and you say you've got this, um, yes. is, it, is it predictive is what I'm trying to say. Yes, well, we, we, we see all conflict activity and we also see all, all healing phases. Um, in the very beginning, uh, I, I was very curious. I needed to know that this stuff was real. So I, uh, uh, when my very first teacher of uh, the, the new medicine, as it was called then, uh, came to Canada to do some courses, I, I sponsored him to do courses here. And um, I, I had my GP give me a CT. So uh, we sat down after lunch one day and uh, put it up on the screen and uh, he proceeded to tell me my entire medical history. So yeah, that's very uh, uh, validating. So he was able to tell me everything pretty much that I'd suffered from. And thankfully they were all pretty much resolved. <laughs> but you know, it, it also confirmed a couple of things that I already suspected had their origins in a cancer. And that was a breast cancer, had a breast lump for many years and uh, also a, a very large melanoma that uh, his expression when, when he saw it, he said, formidable Isadora. <laughs> he was Belgian. So yeah, and at that time, I already understood enough not to freak out about what I had developed. So um, eventually uh, um, I got rid of it altogether. It was quite large. It was about uh, five centimeters in, in diameter. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. So wow. I'm a walking GNM experiment. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it's uh, it's confirmed for me all the time. So you, you, the doctor told you by looking at your CT scans, you could tell you your past history of, of certain. Yeah. So so this these rings don't fully go away. They they leave some sort of mark. Yes. Uh, and, and, and does that affect the body thereafter? Because we all change through our experiences. Maybe the artifact is a part yeah. of that. And you know, oh, okay. there are some things that we actually see that register, but never come to a, a disease process. And okay. you know, the way I see it, and I see this more and more. And I used to wonder when I, I first started to look at CAT scans, why the, the client would say, no, I've never had this. And then one day I, I addressed this with Dr. Hammer and I said, you know what? I think the first conflict just registers on the brain, but it's the second conflict that makes us sick. 
And he says, you're absolutely right. But of course, I had to be working in this field for, for probably, I think, about eight years before I came to that conclusion. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's really quite amazing. It's like the universe is giving us a grace period. But when we fall into the same conflict, this is when we will develop a disease process. So we need to look a little bit deeper sometimes when, when we're working with people, if they come to, come to me with a, with a physical problem, with a serious disease, we have to figure out the origin, you know, and the origin could be even 10 years earlier or even prior, uh, longer than 10 years. So it's, uh, it's a process of discovery. And I, I find that most people that are open to this, uh, it's not just a process of discovery of the conflict, but it's also a process of self-discovery in many ways. Because we have to look inwards, you know, we have to look to see why we responded that way and why we carried it so long and why it's so important to us. Yeah, and, and then there again, you're back at the level of the energy which precedes um, everything before it manifests. So. You can't just operate at the physical level yeah. to deal with this. So you have to go back to the root cause. Yes. But uh, the thing is, we, we seem to also attract situations that would facilitate a resolution. You know, and I, I found this early on as well. That, and, you know, we see it in uh, psychotherapy, for example. You know, people keep attracting similar personalities into their lives that would make them miserable. You know, uh, women with breast cancer is always, uh, if it's a partner issue, then they have a history of bad relationships with partners. And it's because they're ultimately trying to solve something. So it's and, really, it's a journey of self-discovery. And even in those situations, um, those bad relationships, repeatedly uh, bad relationships are in order to learn some, would something like that show up in the CAT scan? Well, we, we see the physical response. And, uh, you know, in, in most cases in women, uh, it does end up in a breast cancer. So uh, a milk duct cancer of some sort. So uh, when they ultimately uh, resolve these separation issues, or it could be a, a sexual conflict, um, you know, suicide is the result of two sexual conflicts in opposing hemispheres, you know, in the, in the cerebrum. So these are rejection conflicts that, that women can experience. But, you know, ultimately, um, it's part of being human, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's it's just that we're getting to know really what our bodies do with our experience. What we develop is literally an expression of our experience. Yes, and and and, and that ties into the very fact that we are creators, co-creators in this world. Um <clears throat> and that everything stems, stems from energy. And through our consciousness, we affect the way it manifests. And this all ties in exactly with what you're saying. Exactly. And, you know, it, it can manifest or it can resolve or dissolve just as quickly as it can manifest. This is what I've discovered, especially with, with chronic illnesses. You know, once we figure out the track that is keeping you in that holding pattern or is triggering you all the time, once you figure it out, it disappears. Literally, in minutes. 
it's quite extraordinary to observe. And, 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 and can the CAT scan data, the hard kind of cold scientific data, help someone to understand the origins of it, you know, on the emotional energetic level? Are, well, are... well, yes, absolutely, because, it, you know, it will register in a very specific area of the brain okay. that will only react with that kind of conflict. So we already know in, in the case of a milk duct uh, cancer, introductal cancer as it's called, um, that these are separation conflicts. And uh, the same with an ovarian cancer, these are profound loss conflicts. So when we see this activity in the brain, we already know the, the nature of the conflict that is associated with it. So this is this is not just a, a diagnostic tool for physical ailments, but it can also be used for the level of psychology or, or the, of the mind. Absolutely so, right. So yeah, fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, found that that uh, there are he's isolated different kinds of schizophrenias in the brain. It's very specific. We call them constellations, and it's simultaneous activity in both hemispheres of the brain. I just mentioned two sexual conflicts are responsible for suicide, right? Or suicide constellations, suicidal thoughts, uh, bipolar disorder. Um, yeah, it's it's really quite extraordinary what uh, what he has managed to discover in in thirty five years. It's vast. It changes everything. This is fantastic. I, I, I know I can go down a number of, of different directions right now. Um, you know, how does it operate with the COVID situation? Um, there's a few other things, but I'm going to pass you on to Steve because I'm sure he's, he's got some questions in, the, in that area. And hopefully we can get back and talk more. Thank you. Hi, Isadora. Very nice to meet you. This is uh, amazing stuff. I listened to the podcast you did with Jane and I learned a lot. So I've um, been studying sort of more terrain theory, Royal Rife and Dr. Otto Warburg and, and stuff like that. And this is so intriguing. Uh, my brother is 63 and you know he had no knowledge at all. Forget about, about a brain scan and uh, possible traumas and and stuff like that, but just me giving him a little bit of um, knowledge about how, you know, someone's son like Derek could be murdered by a certain force that doesn't really want certain knowledge out has sort of taken away his fear and he's doing a bit of cleansing and terrain type detoxing and stuff like that. But so for someone with prostate cancer, uh, your knowledge is incredible. What I, there's a is there a pattern and what would you expect my brother's cat scan to look at and what would the trauma be well we we would look in the ponds of the brain stem because this is a cancer that is in uh, of glandular origin and there's a very specific area right dead center in the ponds that relates to the prostate so of course we have a left side and a right side of the prostate depending on on which side is affected with him, we would be able to clearly see that in the CT. Uh, we would be able to see whether or not the conflict is still active or whether or not it was resolved. So um, where, where these prostate cancers are concerned, because they are glandular in origin, they develop during the conflict activity. And uh, when the conflict resolves, this is when um, 
usually the, the patient will develop some night sweats, which means that there are active microbes, the TB mycobacteria, that are actually degrading and trying to normalize the cells that have developed during the contraceptive phase. Wow. Yeah. So if he's had any night sweats, then we know he's in the healing phase. Oh, well, he's, this is sort of makes a lot of sense because he's, since he's been a child, he's had panic attacks, like mm -hmm. even when he was three. And that's like fight or flight. And he's always in fight or flight. So this, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. But just to understand the process, it's, it seems like the CAT scan is done and the healing starts as soon as there's a distinction made to the patient of what the brain is telling. And exactly. The moment that you resolve the conflict, you see, it's the psyche that rules. Okay, it's the brain and then the organ that reacts, but it's the psyche that rules. So the moment that you find a solution or you come to terms with something, this is when you would enter into the healing phase. Wow. So my brother gets a scan, you read it, you tell him, and then the healing will manifest from there? Well, sometimes it doesn't. Um, you know, sometimes we need to investigate the, the uh, real origin of what they had developed. Okay. And uh, through a series of discussions, uh, we see how the patient related to that situation at that particular moment. And of course, you know, we, I have to address um, tracks, which are reminders of uh, what we experienced at that moment of the biological shock. Because when we have a biological shock, there are billions of bits of information going through our psyche at that moment. Of course, not everything registers. It's the most important things that register. And we could be looking at, at the senses, our sense of smell, sense of taste, uh, something that we witnessed. You know, the visual track is one of the most insidious. And, mm. uh, you know, so it could have been associated with something we were eating at that moment. This is what allergies are, mm. about, right? Mm. Uh, yeah. Something we smelled. Um, it, uh, it could be a person that was part of the scene of the crime, as I like to call it, because, it, you know, we experience it as such. We go into fight or flight, right? It's a yeah, that makes so much experience. sense. So all the important bits of information register, and they can be potential tracks. Now, gotcha. it's also important to understand that because we are emotional beings, the emotion registers as well. So the emotion can also become a track. So, yeah, there are a lot of things that we need to unravel. But, you know, when, when we first begin to discuss what actually happened at that moment and how it was perceived, we already have a very, very good piece of the puzzle. And I then later on, it's a matter of observing, you know, how are you reacting in this situation? What is the reminder? What set you back? And the more we do this, the less we're affected by it. And that's the amazing thing. You know, it's like uh, we, we become desensitized to the tracks the more we observe ourselves falling into it. Yeah, it's sort of logical that as soon as you're told it, maybe it was this, it's a release. Exactly. And a I lot mean, of people uh, say it feels like a release. And you know, when, when a therapist is closely connected with the patient, when you're working and you have that release, 
you both feel it. That's the extraordinary thing. I feel the waves of the release when I'm working with someone. So yes, energetic, absolutely. It's amazing because like, even if you're, you're at a job and you hate it, the day you quit and make that decision and the day you leave, it's like, you know, and well, you know, Carl is big on water. I don't know if it's true, but technically, I think scientifically, we're 75% water. Mm-hmm. Uh, water's programmable. Our minds are programmable. Um, the There's a lot of toxins in the world. I mean, glyphosate is known to do untold damage to cell cell function and and stuff like that. Would we're, How much of this incorporates both maybe even inner child work or terrain cleansing or nothing at all? Well, I think, I think everyone has a piece of the puzzle, but we have to understand the biological mechanism to be able to even effectively use those, those uh, um, different kinds of therapies. Okay, I think eventually, and it's, I see that it's already happening, we have to um, understand all of our modalities and our, all of our methodologies within the context of Dr. Hammer's findings. Okay. That way, everything will make sense. Like I said, everyone has a piece of the puzzle, and you know we're all doing valid work. But how does it fit into to the five biological laws? Yes. And I have to, I'm not, I haven't boned up, so I apologize. But I mean, it's all incredibly fascinating. It makes total sense. So, but who would have thought a CAT scan could reveal such unbelievable information? And, you know, the technology is changing. Um, We also have the MRI where we do brain scans using that technology. But um, the the MRI only picks up on, uh, on water molecules. So uh, the CT uh, picks up on different energies, I think, and different uh, changes, structural changes on on the brain. Now, there's a new uh, technology that is emerging. It's called an MRT, Magnetic Resonance Tomography. And uh, apparently that is also quite good at understanding uh, um, the, uh, the different phases that mm. uh, occur on the brain, whether or not you're in an active phase or whether or not you're still in in, uh, in a healing phase. So, uh, yeah, so we have to uh, go along with the new technology and see how it all fits in with what Dr. Homer discovered. That's really, really fascinating. I'm going to, I'm going to get more involved in bone up. And it's uh, the last thing I'll say before I pass you to Grace is... Um, it, it never ceases to amaze me as much as I know about the mechanisms of control and inversion and perversion of reality in this in this uh, earthly experience that, you know, uh, Dr. Hammer, not only did he have his son murdered, but they, he had his medical license taken away and he was doing nothing but good and, and on a trajectory of new information and uh, a, a path that could help people. And, you know, this is part of what we do is we try and uh, alert people that they're being lied to and they're being misinformed and their fear factor is deliberately elevated so that they don't have answers and they 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 can't make sense of what's going on and they rely on a system that doesn't um, support them 
or want to heal them. So I found that, you know, even though I know it, 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 it sort of was a, such a bummer to hear that, that he was attacked like that after everything. 35 years. 35 yeah. years. And ultimately, uh, I believe what took him out was uh, the final decline of uh, having his license reinstated. And that happened uh, just a, a few weeks prior to his passing in uh, 2017. So he had to come to terms with that at that moment because he only had a, an opportunity every 10 years to uh, uh, have his license reinstated. And wow. you know, this was the nails in the coffin, if you ask me. There's a, the, the list is, I know I could name Brzezinski, Harry Hoxie, Renee Case. I mean, I could go on about doctors who have been reversing disease and empowering people at the same time and, exactly. and they've been destroyed. By, by the institutions and authorities, authorities in quotes, that um, are protecting us. Um, but I'd love to chat more. I'm going to look into this and be more prepared next time. And thank you for everything you're doing. And I'll pass you to Grace. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Elsidora, thank you. And uh, Jane, thank you for inviting Elsidora. I, I strongly concur to everyone's conversation, everyone's point of view. And uh, that also, your conversation brings me also, uh, brings a lot of reminder, even from in, in the indigenous point of view, because in an indigenous point of view, your behavior always matters mm -hmm. and how you behave, whether it's respect for your elders, respect for yourself, always there, always. And then they always say, you know, watch your behavior because soon you'll be sick of this. Or you know, if if you're be, be behaving badly, it says, "What are you sick of now?" So always that, and and so in all my practice, from basic nursing to holistic nursing, I always have that at the back of my mind to say, "Okay, what would have what happened to this person before?" And and I believe that's also part of the Ayurvedic medicine, of the Chinese medicine, or all the ancient medicines always going back before. And then I then that's when I was really happy that the functional medicine group kind of also points back to what happened. And 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 one thing that I do remember is that the chronic conditions always refer to something emotional and something spiritual. Now the challenge, and I, I, I think there's no disagreement with that among all the practitioners, even Western doctors, I think, but the, the, the challenge is how do you apply that knowledge, that theoretical background to practical practicability? And then, but let me just uh, say something about the license. And um, bless, bless Dr. Hammer and rest his soul wherever he is. So I say about the license because nowadays many nurses are threatened. Nurses and doctors are being threatened with their license. Mm -hmm. And there are so there are brave doctors who just like Dr. Cohen, who even before it was kind of taken away, he just relinquished it. He surrendered it. So sometimes when we, that's the key also, is when we, we get attached to something that maybe we think it is important for us to, to, to be able to speak our truth, then that's like, that may not go along with the German new medicine because that becomes like 
a secondary, third, or whatever, you know, immediate factor trauma. So, um, so I hope that whoever is listening could start expanding more their, their imagination and their commitment that it is not about the physical thing of a license or anything of that sort that makes you well, makes you healthy, makes you happy, makes you peaceful. So we can try and and in it's interesting that in the um, Spanish, well, actually Spanish, but it's really like uh, if you approach a curandera, which is the uh, indigenous practitioners, they will always say that the number one illness is fear. So when you have that fear, so, okay, so that fear. And then when I started learning quantum reflex analysis, and um, and uh, bless his heart, Dr. Marshall passed away already, but and that's the semi-kinesiological technique. And I resonated with it, um, Isabella, Elsidora, uh, uh, because when we are taught to examine from head to toe, because that governing vessel, and they said that you cannot fully get better if all your head points are not strong. And yeah, I resonated to it because many people don't have access to health insurance. Okay, and many people and many doctors would not say, okay, let me do a CAT scan or you can convince someone to have a CAT scan because of something outside the brain. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's hard for them to connect that. Although people like Carl and, you know, uh, Steve and all the people here with us, it's in, we all can connect to the brain. And it's interesting, Carl, check me if I'm wrong, but the kidneys, the liver, the lungs, the brain are the most saturated with water. And then going back to that ring. And I like that, really. I like that image. And so thanks for bringing that up. And it, and then I believe that the mag magneto um, tomography is you don't they, you don't even they don't touch touch the brain when they examine that. Right. Elsidora, it's not like an ECT. So it's an outside, and Bruce Lipton speaks of that, and other, you know, other health practitioners who knows now about frequencies. So it's it's all outside. So I so in all of this, it's fascinating that you know many physicians like him. And again, thank you for pursuing and continuing to teach this because it's really great and when you said it it fits all the puzzle so my my i think my question would be for you since you've been practicing this what is the most challenge that you've had when the person cannot even own it you know when you said you it's easy to say hey i think this is what's what happened when you were a child but you're all already grown up so what do you do with that so what and how do you like really make it available that it's for me because it's for me it's all about own it own it and then boom things can work out may most probably well i think it depends on whether or not the patient comes to me of their own volition or if they're brought by someone else if they're brought by someone else i don't think they're ready for it if they come of their own volition, they're already exploring something that is different from traditional medicine. 
So that means that they're already thinking at a different level. Their experience is at a different level. They're spiritually at a different level. They're willing to explore self to figure out the cause of their disease. You know, that I've always felt that Dr. Hammer's findings are going to lead us to uh, a higher level of spiritual development because of what, of it, what it implies. It says that a biological shock, which is a terrible experience, right? A biological shock, it's life-threatening in many cases. And this is why we have such strong physical responses. It's a very negative experience and it touches the soul. You know, the first book that Dr. Hammer wrote was called Cancer Disease of the Soul. The soul is the psyche. So it's that which responds to this biological shock. So we're always looking for answers once we have a biological shock. We attract experiences that will help us to facilitate a solution somehow. This is a spiritual process. This, this isn't just biology. It's a spiritual process, especially in humans, because we have the ability of higher thinking. We can rationalize. We can look at the spirit, whereas other mammals don't have that ability. They are subject simply to conflict activity and conflict resolution and what their body does with it. We're operating on a completely different level from that. Now, because of that, it also gives us the opportunity to develop more spiritually. I think because we have to look at taking responsibility for our actions. That, that's the first thing. If we don't make changes within ourselves, then we don't change spiritually. So sometimes an illness will force us into this position of self-introspection and, and soul-searching, if you will. And uh, even in some very, very serious cases, where we were unable to facilitate a turnaround because they had developed this and that and the other and other things in the process of their cancer experience. We see that the soul leaves much lighter than they had when they were carrying the burden of all of this conflict. So this is a very deep spiritual process, and we have to appreciate that. You know, Dr. Hammer was a theologian. He, his, he had his doctorate in theology, so he understood all of this. And I think this is why he was probably so open to uh, this concept of a, a biological shock affecting the physical body. He and his wife had, had a series of discussions before uh, he actually got his position in Munich. And they both understood that it was the trauma they experienced around the death of their son that was responsible for the onset of their disease. So, you know, this, this is all meant to be. I think it's very timely that Dr. Hammer came onto this scene in the early 1980s. And, uh, you know, this, it's given us an opportunity, especially in the crisis that we are going through right now, I have to tell you, if it wasn't for, for knowing the five biological laws, I wouldn't have been able to suss this out, that this was a scam right from the beginning. You know, I, I, my heart pours out to people that still believe in the old paradigm that cannot differentiate between what is real and what is being perpetrated. 
I can't wait when more of this, um, more of these therapies, more of these interventions will not be labeled anymore as alternatives, mm. but really the main treatment or interventions, because it is so true, everything that you have mentioned and Dr. Hammer have studied, it's even interesting that if I have to think about that relationship of the cancer of the testis that he has had, that boils down to creativity and look what came out of his cancer is all this creative, you know, and became like the German new medicine. And that might have supported him to live many more years and share this because that's, you know, so every part of the body boils down to it. And maybe at some point um, you can also share to us, please, the different laws that he you know, mentioned, because what I was thinking um, also is I always try to imagine the cycles of the butterfly and, 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 and relate it also to what he, he discovered that, you know, for, there's that trauma, biological trauma. So in the cycles of the butterfly, as we all know, it starts from a, 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 uh, an egg and, you know, it goes to being a caterpillar to the cocoon and then to the butterfly. So all these are the phases of life and phases of health. Maybe one of the problems that we had is when we start labeling things as disease, mm -hmm. illness. And so we get into trouble with all many words instead of just all about the feeling and going through the process. So, so help us again to understand and teach us a little bit of the different laws, okay? Okay, well, everything begins with this biological shock, which is the unanticipated event. Uh, you know, Dr. Hammer uh, said it's like being struck by a bolt of lightning. And uh, I agree with that. I've experienced that. But not everyone can connect with that. So we've had to use a different kind of language for them to, to uh, understand what can happen at that moment. In other words, it's something you didn't expect to happen. And depending on the individual, uh, some people experience this very deeply. And other people, they... You know, they have a wall up straight away. They don't allow themselves to experience it as as most people would experience it. So they remove themselves from that experience straight away. And that's why they can't connect with it as a bolt of lightning. So um, we have this unanticipated event. We go into the first phase. This is the law of two phases. The first phase of that is the, the conflict active phase. And here we are in the stress phase, we're in the fight or flight. So we have all the stress phase symptoms. We can't eat, we can't sleep, we're concentrating only on that problem. Uh, we feel cold, we wake up at three o'clock in the morning. Now, some stress phases are never resolved. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're gonna get sick. It all depends on the part of the brain that was affected. Now, if we're talking about the old brain, like the pawns of the brainstem, then we could potentially develop a cancer that grows during the conflict activity. But if it strikes a different area of the brain, like the cortex and the cerebrum, then uh, we can live to be 100 during that conflict active phase. 
Now, nature has also given us the ability to downgrade these conflicts. Otherwise, we would just die of the stress. You know, so the conflict is downgraded over, over usually over about 12 weeks. And it, it uh, downgrades to a manageable level. Now, if um, we resolve this conflict, then if it's from the old brain, then the tumor that grew during the conflict active phase, it stops growing. And if we have the available microbes in our bodies, then those microbes will begin to degrade that mass. Now, if something uh, affected the cortex, for example, uh, where we have the milk ducts in the, uh, of the breast, uh, in the sensory cortex of the brain, then the repair phase kicks in as soon as we resolve that conflict. And this is when we will have the tissue swelling. This is when the so-called nodule will form during the, uh, the healing phase or the repair phase. Now, this will only grow to a certain extent because the conflict active phase and the effects of the healing phase are usually in balance. So, you know, it will only grow to a certain degree and then it will also stop growing and the body will attempt to degrade that. Now, the third biological law has to do with the um, ontogenetic system of um, tumors. And that's pretty much what I just explained. Some, some depending on the area of the brain that uh, the conflict activity is located, that will develop into a tumor that will either grow uh, during the conflict active phase or a tumor that will grow when the conflict is resolved. Now, the fourth biological law is really very important to, for us to understand microbial activity, because here what we're looking at is um, the affinity of certain microbes to different germ layers, in other words, different tissues. So anything to do with the old brain, the pons of the brainstem, will involve the oldest microbes. So here we're looking at evolution again. So the oldest microbes are uh, TB mycobacterias or mycobacterias and fungi. So their job is to uh, caseate and to degrade anything that developed during the conflict active phase. Then we have the cerebellum, uh, which is the next addition uh, to our brain, which is still part of the old brain. So it will make use of those microbes, not so much the fungi, but uh, some forms of uh, uh, mycobacteria that are related to TB mycobacterias and the oldest bacteria is known to men. And again, these are used to degrade tumors. Now, as we evolve, we develop the cerebral medulla or the white matter of the brain. And that has jurisdiction over our, our uh, skeletal structure, the connective tissue and uh, um, the um, uh, joints, the muscles, everything that is involved with movement. So those tissues during the conflict active phase, they will degrade, they will necrotize. In other words, they will lose mass. But when we resolve the conflict, the newer addition to the microbial family, the other bacterias, uh, they will help to restore that tissue. And here we could be looking at the lymph we could be looking at the bones. So there will be microbes available to help to rebuild. Now, the newest addition to the brain is the cerebrum. 
And originally, Dr. Hammer believed that uh, this is uh, where uh, we had the control center for viruses. But he changed his mind over the years because there was no conclusive evidence that uh, there were actually viruses. All we really saw underneath the microscope were antibodies or proteins, right? So, um, yes, it, it was uh, when Dr. Hammer and Dr. Lanka met in uh, the year 2000 that uh, Dr. Hammer really took a much closer look at uh, the so-called virus theory. And uh, finally, uh, he officially published in 2009 that there was no evidence uh, that there was a virus. And all of the tissues that repaired uh, in the healing phase did this on their own, but there were byproducts that uh, they were able to isolate as a result of these healing phases known as antibodies or proteins. And this is what traditional medicine eventually called viruses. But as we know now, there really isn't such a thing as virus. As a virus, it has never been proven or isolated underneath an electron microscope. So the jury is still out on that. So it's uh, very interesting the way it all fits in with Dr. Homer's biological findings. And of course, it was only through understanding the GNM and what Dr. Hammer discovered that I was able to understand that what happened at the beginning of 2000 could not possibly be happening, that this was orchestrated somehow. I think we are all in agreement with that. <laughs> One thing I know is I want to make sure that my brain is good. So <laughs> that's always a challenge because, you know, as a child, you bump, you fall. So that's why traumas in my practice as quantum reflex analysis, that you always have a trauma, physical, mm -hmm. mental, emotional. And there's always that interference field that goes from the brain to the kidney, to the liver. So thank you so much. And there is one question from a follower or a viewer from Ireland. and. Mm -hmm. uh, he said, is there anyone in Ireland who practices GNM? Or I guess the, the other question is, if they are in different states or countries, where's the best place for them to go to? Well, uh, if you uh, go to inquiry at gnmonlineseminars.com, we can direct you to someone qualified in your area. Thank you so much. And uh, I'll pass it on to anyone. I think Carl still has more questions. And Carl, by the way, that lady who asked about Ireland, he really had very good comments for you last time as well. Oh, good. That's that, that's always good to hear. I'll find out who it is. <laughs> um, Grace, that totally cut out when uh, Ilsa Dora was saying where to find people. So maybe there's another way we can make that clear. Like she went uh, a little staccato there. So I don't think we could hear her. Oh, um, if you go to my website, uh, GNM Online Seminars, um, we have an inquiry. Just uh, type in inquiry at gnmonlineseminars.com and uh, ask us uh, who the uh, qualified practitioner is in your area. We can direct you. 
when you're talking about this crosses over with, I believe, another German form of medicine and related to homeopathy. Um, and the principle, it's called the Sanum therapies, Sanum therapy. And it's based on this, it's related to pleomorphic theory and the terrain. But it basically says that we've evolved with two basic forms of um, fungi, Aspergillus um, and Mucor rasamoris or something. Um, I can't remember the names exactly. But when these get out of balance, uh, uh, they can become more aggressive depending on the terrain. But the, the, the principle of this is uh, that you give remedies in potentized form based on, on, on this principle in order to uh, bring, bring these more aggressive uh, uh, um, uh, elements within the body back to a more um, symbiotic relationship with the body. Because what happens is, is that they, when the terrain gets out of uh, character, they become more aggressive. Uh, and this is all about bringing things back into balance, mm -hmm. um, to bring it back down and, and to continue on Grace's analogy of the butterfly. When, when, when the caterpillar goes into the cocoon, uh, the caterpillar is completely dissolved into its basic constituents so that it can reform and come out again. So I see that as a way of taking care of imbalances where the body tries to uh, break it back down so that it can start again, perhaps um, uh, to be reborn. Uh, you know, the, the scripture, the, the, the old man should die that the new man that comes forth that we should be carrying our cross every day that we, we may be able to be reborn. But I sort of see that in this as well. Uh, so I just wanted to mention the Sanum therapy, um, and it's about bringing things into balance, but they use homeopathic uh, uh, remedies based on, on, on bacteria and fungi and uh, all these elements within the body to bring it into balance. So that might tie in with this whole thing. Um, yeah, that was, that was really what I, was, um, I, I just wanted to say, because it's a fascinating subject. I, I'm wondering, because a cat's, if somebody wanted to get analyzed uh, remotely using this, could someone get, um, I'm making it sound simple, get a cat scan of their brain and send it to you or, or something? Would something like that work? Well, I, I usually only use it with, with my clients. Um, years ago, I, I was working with some Brazilian doctors that sent me their CTs all the time. And I, you know, I, it was like I was just working for them. So uh, I stopped doing it for just for people that, you know, were curious kind of thing um, or for other practitioners. But what I, what I am doing now, I just use it in my practice. But what I am doing now is uh, I have established an institute, uh, the GNM Institute. It's a much longer name, but we'll just call it the GNM Institute for now, where I'm going to be teaching um, a certification uh, uh, level of um, GNM so that other people can begin to use these tools uh, to help their patients. So that's in the future. Um, it's, uh, I can't allow this to die with the first generation of Dr. Homer students. You know, we've all learned how to read CTs for the most part, and uh, it needs to be passed on so that um, 
and it has to be done person to person. It's not the kind of thing that, you know, you can just uh, put on a diagram or in a book and expect the, the individual to learn from that. Uh, it needs to be passed on from person to person. So uh, the Institute was necessary. So that will be the future. But as I said, uh, I do still use this tool with my own clients, and uh, but I do discourage people sending them to me <laughs> just, just for an analysis because that, that uh, could get out of hand. But, yeah, I understand that that can be sort of disconnected from the person. Yes, uh, absolutely. You know, it, yeah. it's not like sending out a saliva sample and, and getting a reading on, on a biofeedback machine. It's, it's not like that at all. Um, we need to connect with the individual and uh, to understand what we're seeing. And even so, for research purposes, that is very, very important because we need to, to uh, reconfirm Dr. Hammer's findings. So part of this institute that, that I am establishing, establishing will also um, involve the furthering of his research. Great, thank you very much. I'll pass you back to Greg, sir, whoever. I, I had um, one more comment and I just, because I, I study the unconscious mind and treat with homeopathy, I know that often circuits get developed in early childhood. And I wanted to comment that, you know, Dr. Homer's was like a lightning bolt shock, an emotional shock that was very obvious. But sometimes like Steve's brother, he says, you know, it's this constant anxiety and he doesn't know where it comes from. It can, can it um, be equally damaging eventually on the brain? No. Um Anxiety is what we call a constellation in the DNA. In other words, it takes uh, two areas of the brain to be simultaneously affected at, um, to present, uh, at least in, in that kind of a thing. So we're talking about the frontal lobe. Now we know each relay also has a connection to the organ, but when both hemispheres are affected simultaneously, that means that whatever is going on on the organic level has been downgraded to the point where there's no activity. So we just get the emotional response. And that, that's nature taking care of us. But unfortunately, we do experience the anxiety. Now, once we begin to observe and understand the origin of the anxiety, we can control it and ultimately get rid of it altogether. But Again, this is where CT of the brain would be uh, very helpful because these tracks, you know, they also register. So there could be other areas of the brain that are simultaneously affected that would give us a clue as to the origin of the, um, the anxiety. Right, and the origin could be in very early childhood when a circuit developed and then it gets triggered by something in our environment constantly, right? And then, so it's like going backwards to try to. Well, I, I figured out early on that the majority of our conflicts uh, occur in the first 20 years of our life. Mm -hmm. You know, it's uh, just when we have uh, a uh, resurfacing of the conflict or the conflict is uh, triggered for the second time or opened up for the second time that we actually do get the physical response. Exactly. And 
I believe the same applies for anxiety and uh, any of these uh, what we call mental disorders or constellations. So, you know, the universe is generous. Otherwise, you know, if we, if we responded immediately to all of these biological shocks, we wouldn't live to be older than 30. Mm-hmm. There had to have been a mechanism in place that would save us from that so that we would live longer. Yeah, it's beautiful. And one final comment. Um, I know in our conversation that metastasis was linked to the shock of diagnosis. Yeah. So for just, just for people to be aware of that, I think is really empowering. Exactly. And But, you know, for some people, it's frightening as well, especially if they just had a, a diagnosis. But again, you know, it's been my experience that it's not the first shock that will present in the future it's the second shock so you know even if if people uh, are newly diagnosed they don't have to worry about that because you know we work them through it and once they really understand these biological principles it really does take a great deal of stress away from them and uh, and uh, what they're dealing with you know from there on it's a matter of dealing it dealing with it on the right level you know, and not just uh, doing absolutely everything that is out there, because ultimately that's going to lead to our demise. Exactly. It, yeah, just to realize the effects is empowering, and it takes some of the pressure off at the same time, because you know then, oh, deal with this, and I'll be fine, right? <laughs> like, work through my stuff. <laughs> Thank you, Ilsadora. Um, I, it's so empowering to even realize the information and the connections, and I hope it helps so many people out there. Thank you for coming today and talking about German New Medicine. It's been a pleasure. And th- oh, I'd like to thank the audience as well. Okay, thank you for always following and please share this to you know, your family, to your friends and loved ones. And uh, yeah, that's marvelous, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me.